like it. I've been up for a while, but I have, except for Saturday morning, gotten up at 4.30 a.m. every day for the last, this is the seventh day in a row, which I- That's awesome. Yeah. And for me, just to be clear, I go to bed early and I also um, do a special kundalini meditation that uh, makes my uh, sleep cycle, I won't go into it, but I do a special kundalini meditation that kind of gives me high quality sleep. sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um oh I need to do that. I need to get that one from you. Yeah, you have to do it every you have to do it at night right before bed and you have to do it for about 14 minutes and you have to do it over a period of time before it really starts to uh do its thing, but it's it works okay. phenomenally. Um but yeah, so I do that but uh 4:30 a.m. for me. I did that when I was in Kundalini training and mm-hmm. something about it just uh makes It's the me perfect hour. I know. It's the perfect hour. So me too. I know it sounds crazy, but just so everyone knows I do it because it's where I find my utmost peace, not because I'm a masochist or is it? No, same. Sadist, right. No, I. Masochists are the one that hurt other people and say. No, masochists hurt themselves. Sadists hurt other people. No, so I'm not a masochist. Right. Yeah. You're not a sadist either. (laughs) I'm I'm neither of those things. Yeah, no, at 4.30 is my magic hour, too. That's what I discovered when I can write the best. Um, at yeah. 4.30, there's something about it. I, it's like nothing has started at 4.30. Really, the, the whole world is kind of asleep or not, you know, the, even the even nature is not moving. It's very still. It's wonderful. Well, it's called Amrit Vela, and it is actually the part there's more prana, so there's more life force in the earth. It's this is the kundalini thing, but mm. there's more life force in the earth. There's because the breath is the breath is still, so you actually can you can consume more life force. And the angle of the sun hitting the earth is there's something special going on there. So anyway, um, oh, you can read about it, Amrit Vela, but that it's uh, scientifically according to the kundalini's the best time of the day, and why all kundalini's everywhere wake up at four thirty in the morning. I think they're right. I think they're right, too. So, lady, what are we talking about today? Uh, We're talking about the shockers. And it's so funny. When I think of the shocker, I think of, um, oh, it's terrible. But I think of, isn't like that like a sexual position? Isn't the shocker? Ah! Like, isn't the shocker when you? No idea. I'm pretty sure a shocker is when you um, when you stick your finger in someone's asshole. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be a shocker. It yeah. is. Yeah. So no, I um I I when when we said we were doing the shockers, all I was thinking about was um Sticking. my dirty mind. All I was thinking about yeah. was that. What has made me feel like someone's putting their thumb in my asshole? It's not a thumb. There's a specific <laughs> there's a finger. There's a specific <laughs> finger. <laughs> Sweet. Not that I know this from experience, it's just I've heard. You've heard. So yeah, we're not talking about that, but we are talking about the shockers as in the things, three things that um, shocked us most that we did drum and three things that have been the most shocking um, things we've done or experienced in sobriety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about this one, even though I don't feel like my stories are that scandalous. I mean, I guess they are. Maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I am desensitized on this side because I've heard so much that yeah, nothing can shock me. There's that whole, Sarah Heppler says, if if somebody, if if you fucked a zebra, someone else is fucked too. And yeah. so I just have this, um, for me, I'm like, that's not that big of a deal. That's not, but anyway, so I'm, I'm really excited though, I'm, I'm, but mostly because I'm excited to hear yours. Oh God. Yeah, no, I think, and it's not, this is not, we're not doing it so that we can like out sensationalize each other or any of that. We're just doing it because I think it's really important to share some of the really fucked up things that happened. And they, a lot of mine aren't 
You're like, mine are not sensational. Mine are, mine are yeah. trauma inducing and they're, they're not things to aspire towards. There is, there's no rock star in my stories. No. And a lot of them are maybe not the outwardly the most um, dramatic bits or the, you know, the, the most shocking to others, but this is more of the inside job shock, you know, the, yeah. The, the things that we couldn't believe we found ourselves doing. So yeah. I'd love for you to go first. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I have a number few one shocking thing that you did. Yeah. Intoxicated pre-sobriety. Pre-sobriety. So this is one that I, I forget about and re-remember often. And it was, what it was after I was supposedly quitting drinking or I, I was on the path to sobriety, but definitely not sober yet. And for me, that, that period of time was just the darkest because some people thought I was sober. Some people didn't know I, there was a lot of compartmentalization. I, my drinking was kind of ruined, you know, because I knew I shouldn't be doing it anymore. And so every time I did it, there was more guilt, there was more hiding, there was more lying, there was a lot of it was done alone. And so it was a really dark period. So the story is, I went to a wedding. Um, and it was, you know, a couple of my dear friends. And I, um, I got, was given uh, the responsibility of making sure that a case of wine was delivered to two of my friends, um, that the ones that got married was delivered to them. They, I think the friends that were giving it, I had happened to be at their house maybe, and they knew that I would be seeing the other group of friends who had just gotten married at some point, probably sooner than they would see them. So they gave me the case of wine and it was, you know, 24 hand-selected bottles that each had their own personalized note about why they chose this wine for them. And um, it was beautifully wrapped and, you know, a, a really thoughtful gift. <laughs> and I get my hands on it. And this thing sat in the hallway of my house, in my tiny little place. This is when I lived in a little place, just one bedroom with me and Alma. And it sat there and I would put things on top of it, like coats or, you know, I just pile stuff on top of it, bags. And, and but I, I knew that was there. I did not keep alcohol in my house at that point um, because I would drink it. And wine is my favorite. That was my, my go-to. I could have bottles of vodka and bottles of beer in the house and it wouldn't have mattered but this was like you know a, a case of my treasure and I had like looked at all the bottles and wondered you know what the story was behind it and I had thought about how like kind this gift was and everything and I um over the course of probably three or four months I drank it each bottle I didn't drink every single one, but I drank a lot of them and it would always, it would always happen after I like had gone out maybe and I'd come back home and it would just be like speaking to me and I'd open a bottle and I'd drink it. And for me, I didn't stop drinking until I passed out. You know, I didn't, I wasn't like a one or two glass or three or four or, you know, I, I always passed out. That's what got me to stop. So a lot of times I spilled, like I would pass out and, you know, some of the bottle would be spilled on the ground. I, um, and the really, the screwy thing about this was I, I would put it back with, you know, the label like a, a, around it, the little tag that they had, you know, the handwritten note on, I would put it back exactly where it was before. And I would just say, okay, I'm going to replace, I'm going to replace them, you know? And I went and looked at one point and I thought I had maybe drank, you know, like three or four bottles of, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, tw a case. The case is 24, right? It was 12. I hadn't, I thought maybe I drank three or four and I realized I had drank like nine or 10 Sorry. and my heart just 
dropped um, because one, I didn't know, could I even get these wines? Like, I didn't even know where they had, you know, if they were available. Um, I didn't know how much they were. Did I just drink $500 worth of wine? Did I drink $1,000 worth of wine? I had no idea. And so I, one day it was like, I knew I was going to see these friends that they had then asked me at this point, Hey, I heard you have our like gift from so-and-so. Can you bring it when you come over? And I was like, fuck. So I uh, researched all of these bottles of wine. I had to call about six different liquor stores in three different states to figure out how to put them all together. Uh, one of them I, I couldn't find anywhere. I did finally put them together and I, and I ended up replacing every single one. It costs a lot of money and so much humiliation. I had to drive, I drove hundreds of miles, you know, for the sole purpose of replacing wine that was not mine Ugh. that I drank while basically almost the, all of that wine was drinking a blackout. So it was, I remember my last stop, I, I had to drive to New Hampshire. Nobody knows you know, or hasn't been there. New Hampshire is like known for their liquor stores. I went to like two big super stores and replaced the last couple bottles. I was so relieved and so ashamed at the same time. And it cost, yeah, it cost me a lot of money. And I, and I, you know, I did replace it all, but it, it always felt so disgusting disgusting. and so like I was, you know, I, yes, I gave them their full gift back, but it was, it just was so, so sad. There's so much shame that gets wrapped up in, I mean, you, cause you know, I mean, the yeah. only thing that matters is that, you know, right. And I, I have thought about this a lot. I remember I blocked it out. I really, really blocked yeah. it out. And I, and I, um, remembered it one day when I was talking to my sponsor and I just got this like Paul cast over my face and she's like, what just, what just happened? And I said, I just remembered you know, this, this, and I told her and she's like, it's okay. It's fine. You know, it's over. But I had blocked it out and I remember it from time to time and just think, God, that was, that was a dark period. And it was so, you know, that, that is where it took me. It, you know, there was nothing that was sacred. There was nothing that, you know, I, I should not have first, you know, I shouldn't have been trusted with that, but you know, there was nothing that was sacred. And, and, um, well, yeah. it's not you shouldn't have been trusted with it. You, but you yourself knew you shouldn't have been trusted. I knew. I would. It was like when they gave it to me, you I was nervous. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is this is bad. Not belong in my hands. You yeah. know. It's um, so funny when you say this. I've never done anything to that extent, but I've I've spent many 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 hours of my life replacing things. Um, both oh, actually, God. interestingly enough. Um, bulimia caused that a lot and not like fancy, food? expensive food, but I would eat other people's food. Like if yeah. I had a roommate, I would go through all their food and then I'd have yeah. to go to like that, that, hum- that humiliation, that shame of <sighs> like being bloated after having binged and purged for hours on their food before they were coming back into town and going to like Safeway to re to get like three boxes of macaroni and cheese to, you know, and just hoping I had made it all up. Um, I, I understand that it's not to the extent, but I understand that. And the same goes for alcohol. I, I, I used to drink and replace alcohol quite frequently. And so, um, I know that feeling it's that feeling of like when the after it's like the longest guilt trip. Cause you're, especially if you're driving a tri-state area, um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It, yeah. And it was the middle of winter when I was, I mean, I'll never forget it. It was, it was a dark, dark time, but oh. that was the first one I wanted to share. There's, there's so much it's wrapped hard. into that. Yep. Yeah. Sorry if it's noisy. I have an, if readers you have a crazy or, fucking upper neighbor who drags stuff across. The <laughs> you can body. hear it, right? Yeah. yeah. It. This is the morning dragging dead bodies across the, the, whatever she does up there in the morning session. God. So sorry, listeners, if you can hear dead bodies. That's... I can hear it. I can hear the dead bodies. That's all right. Uh, we are, we're not professionals. Um, so what's yours? What's your, what's your first one? Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about this right before. Um, I, it was hard for me to search, and I actually just recently wrote a blog post about some, one of the more shameful experiences. Not even, that wasn't even a shameful experience, but I look at that. Uh, that was a... That was a, um, I thought that was a, it was a beautiful, I think all these things are really, even though they're 
they're facepalm inducing. I think going through and, and, and thinking about where I was always is really beautiful. I don't know what, how yeah, to it, No, it is. It, it is. It's like, it, cause you're not there anymore. Cause you're not there, but also I have such reverence for myself and, yeah. and go no matter where I've been, I really do. And that, that like that blog post I just wrote I had gotten I got a couple emails or comments saying oh I feel you that's so like that like I I know like it's so embarrassing to go back to these things or there's and it's not it's never embarrassing for me it's mm-hmm. always really this it's always a sweet I, I always think of that sweet girl that was in that pain and that was doing that and I really love her like I really love her even though she me made too. so many mistakes and hurt so many people or whatever she did I just I love her and so but I also have a very hard time going back into those places. And so this is hard for me. And I picked um, three that stuck out. And the first was one that actually you gave me the idea for, which was um, buying drugs off the street. And uh, I I didn't do this too much because I didn't do many drugs, but I smoked yeah. a ton of pot. And I, I lived in, I lived in, I lived in, lived in San Francisco during some of the worst parts of my um addictions and I lived very close to the tenderloin I lived in a neighborhood called the tender knob which is uh the cro- like right where the nicer part meets the shady part and um I I got like a couple times I would get super drunk and I would run out of pot and I'd be too drunk I know I was too drunk to go to my drug dealers or see any I mean because I knew my drug dealers and I did it. I just felt too uncomfortable being that drunk around them. Um, yeah. And so I'd be desperate for pot, and I'd do this routine of calling my drunk neighbor and seeing if he had any. And he's was slightly abusive, and he would never give it to me. And then I just a couple times um, got dressed, and I mean, we're talking. I was drunk, and I looked like I, during these these like the especially if I was on a bender, I just looked like I was. 30 and I looked 50 I mean yeah, I, looked, I know like I had there was no definition in my face and um I remember walking around and walking on Market Street and going up to anybody that looked like a possible drug dealer and asking if they sold weed and I and no one ever did which was the I mean the, the crazy thing is I in my right mind I would clearly know that the hippies up in the upper hate are the ones that have the good pot but I just in my mind I thought okay, I'll just walk down here and, and I'll run into somebody. So it's right around where my church was, right? And I was I was trying to get pot. I mean, yeah. we're talking about pot. I know, and but it's just the whole scene, you know? The it's whole scene the, was so bad. And then I remember going yeah. back to my apartment, just stopping and, and not getting it and saying, well, I'll just drink more and stopping and picking up more Jameson and um, and then just, oh God. And, and also like, and then going back to my apartment and then, going through this whole total drug seeking uh I, I like going and shaking my carpet out or looking yeah. behind my bed and seeing if I had dropped pot anywhere or scraping for the 50th time an old pipe or yeah. just it was so bad mm-hmm. um so that that was like that was those were some of the more shocking moments of my life where I was like oh oh <laughs> yeah like you see yourself from the outside for a moment and you're and you're kind of appalled yeah or you're just trying not to yeah yeah exactly like trying not to try to don't look in the mirror don't look at yourself don't Mm -hmm. see it just 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 get through until tomorrow morning then you'll wake up and then you'll do some yoga take a bath and you'll do your hair and then you'll throw the trash out and then it'll all be better just make it through to tomorrow that was it so yeah, that's, that's my most shocker, my biggest shocker. Yeah. Um, okay, you number two. All right. As you're talking, I'm thinking of other things too. It's like drumming up all of, um, all of ugh, all my memories. So, my second one, um, is during you know towards the end of my drinking, and um, it, it, it again there were a lot of moments like this, but this one just stands out in my mind for some reason. Um, I met a couple friends. This was after my husband and I separated and I, um, Sunday, you know, weekends that I didn't have my daughter were made me very, I was both excited and anxious and I, I really needed to fill up that time. And 
you know, most of it I spent drinking or recovering from drinking. Um, I couldn't sit with myself. And we went to brunch in the city and it was, you know, we, we met at brunch time, like 11 or something. We had a couple drinks each and they were, I was hoping that they were going to be like, you know, into carrying on and continuing. Um, but they, they weren't, they had stuff to do and I couldn't find anyone to play with that day. You know, no one was around and, um, I went and decided to go out by myself. So it was, you know, in the, in the winter time, there was, um, I was in the middle, you know, in the middle of the city in Boston on a Sunday and I just started going to different bars and I was by myself. You know, there's something about in the middle of the day being by yourself as a girl, um, just going and drinking with total strangers. And I went to this place called Stephanie's and I had a few, you know, I had a few glasses of Chardonnay there. I remember um, being Chardonnay and started talking to these people and it started getting a little blurry after that we all carried on and went to some other bar down in that area and then I started thinking I need some I need some drugs my thing with drinking uh, was always coke like if I and I didn't somehow I never barreled really far down with coke I never got my own dealer I never um I, I never fully went, probably because it was really expensive too, but I just, for whatever reason, I didn't, but I always wanted it, you know, and I didn't have someone I could call directly. So I just started asking people totally similar to how you did, you know, you went and started asking people for pot. I was like, I'm just going to start asking people if they have Coke and which is like, you're, it's a Sunday afternoon, <laughs> you know, it's not 2 a.m. in New York or 2 a.m. in Boston for that matter. It's Sunday afternoon. And I'm, you know, I found my, I could always find my people. I found people who were as drunk as I was. And I found a guy who said, no, I don't have any Coke, but I have Molly. And I did not know what Molly was, but I thought, you know, I was very much the like, give it to me and I'll ask what it is later. And I bought it from him. And I don't know what Molly is supposed to be, but this was this disgusting brown, goopy powdery uh like almost like putty stuff and but you do it like you do cocaine and um I it was shit I don't think it actually did anything to me I think it was a bag of shit um but I did it for the rest of the day and I stayed out drinking I somehow this is you know and I don't live in the city I have to like take a cab that cost 50 bucks to get me home and I got home, I blacked out for a lot, a lot of that evening. And I woke up, um, I had to go to work the next day. It was a Monday and there was this bag of stuff next to me and a wine glass, you know, my, my familiar scene, a wine glass that had some wine left in it and the smell of wine. I woke up and I just thought like, I was terrified. You know, I had spent that entire day alone I had spent that entire day uh, doing drugs by myself, you know, and it was terrifying. It was, it was one of those moments where I thought, uh, people don't do that. You know, people don't do this. Like, okay, people, people who don't have a problem, don't do this, Laura. So that, that's my second. Ugh, it gives me a stomach ache. I know. I'm, as we're doing this, I'm just like, why do we decide to do that? Um, yeah, this is hard stuff. It's really hard stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kind of go fast through the last. Two yeah. Hours. Let's go through Cause we, we, we will end up spending two hours talking about this. Yeah. So. Um, so mine was, um, number two for me was just a very, very simple one was drinking in the morning by myself. And, mm -hmm. um, that one was an interesting one cause it didn't start out that way. Um, mm -hmm. I loved mimosas. I loved brunching and I, I, you know, loved the opportunities where I'd have champagne in the morning. 
um, I had done it with my friends, one of my, my best friend from my oldest best friend and I, we would, whenever we would get, to, well, actually my two oldest friends and I, whenever we'd get together for our girls weekends, um, we would buy the Costco, you know, size cooks and we would like, I mean, it was just their husbands, you know, knew it, knew, knew, you know, like how to do it. And they'd start us out with our, our mimosas in the morning. So I love drinking in the morning, but like, yeah. obviously on occasion with other people, um, one of the turning points for me was when I got this promotion at work and I was living by myself and I had forgotten in a, I guess in a blackout, I had, I had texted one of my friends, hey, come meet me at my house on Saturday. And he um, walked into my house and I was sitting on my couch. I was working. I, at that point, didn't have a bed. I was um, sleeping on a pullout couch. It was, it was a new apartment. It wasn't like I didn't have a bed, but I was sleeping on my, I was just still in my pullout bed. My yeah. the TV was on and I had a six pack of Heineken light by my bed. And I had, I was like already three in and it was oh like, God. PM, and I was working and he was just like, this isn't good. Yeah. And that was really the beginning of the end. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was when it just started to, if I had to get up, um, I, there were times where I would wait. I would, if I was out, I would go, I, I knew what times the liquor stores would open and I would be there first. And yep. um, there's something that's devastating about waiting for a liquor store to open in the morning. So you God. Yes. Um, so there, that's it. Well, good. On, number three, you. Number three, me. Okay. So, I, I, a big, big part of my story is driving drunk. I drove, I mean, innumerable amount of numbers. I I can't hundreds and hundreds of times, right. Um, over the years, I finally did get a DUI, but this, um, particular time when I drove in, not just drunk, but in a total hundred percent complete blackout after I had taken Ambien, I, um, I was drinking at my house. I was texting with a guy that I had been hanging out with. I, uh, I blackout at about the time we, we started talking and I wake up in his place in Cambridge. So I have to say, it's one thing to drive drunk and it, but driving Ambien is, it, I mean, it is, I, I was fully blacked out. There's no even gray spots in the memory of this. And to get from my house to Cambridge, you have to drive through Boston, through the city streets. You have, it is, and then through Cambridge, right? Tons of one ways, tons of red lights, tons of swervy roads, tons of, it's, I don't know how I did it. I truly, I truly don't know. I had, I went out and checked my car that next morning. I had no idea where I parked. He had to walk around, you know, helping me find my car for a good 45 minutes. Um, I had no recollection of um, anything, what I like putting on clothes Uh, so it was, it, that was also towards the end. And, you know, I think about that, that time often because it's truly one of those where I have no recollection of ever getting in my car, driving, leaving my car. I woke up somewhere else and I had driven myself there, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that always gives me a a shock of, uh, of terror too, when I think about it. Well, it's interesting on that interview we did with, uh, with Sarah, where she was talking about how um, blackouts can occur um, at a 0.07 blood alcohol level, which is below the legal drinking limit. So the truth is you could actually not blow a DUI and have a blackout while you're driving, which is interesting. Um, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, the third is just the links that I went to. Um, I think mm-hmm. like this is a common theme for a lot of us, which is that we – don't want to be found out for whatever reason by liquor store owners. And so for me, part of my strategy was, um, was going, was I knew every single, like I knew the, the opening out. Oh, first of all, I knew where every liquor store was within, it was like at least a one mile radius. I knew where every liquor store was, but also I knew, um, who was working and when and so I had it down such that I could you know, hit a couple in the same day. And this also played into the bulimia as well, because I would buy really crazy amounts of food. And um, so it was, but I had it worked out so that I knew exactly when everyone worked and yep. knew how to not be found out or seen, you know, so I could space it out. And so I guess like, you know, people like who would never, ever be, you know, like know me from Adam uh, wouldn't find out or think that I had a drinking problem. So, right. Which is, you know, so I had this very, um, 
I had this, when I would do those treks, you know, I would be, and a lot of times they were drunk. I were drunk treks. They were drunk treks. You know, I, I'd be yeah. drinking and then I'd go out. Um, I just, and I live in an area where there's a ton of homeless people and there's a lot of people that are drunk on the street. Um, not a ton, but enough. And I, I just started to have this very, very clear realization that I, this is my trajectory and I got yeah. it. Like I yeah. really got what they, what was going on with them. I have, I have such a different, when I, when I run into, when I run into homeless men and women yep. that are drinking in the streets, I have such a different, um, Reaction. I have such a different, yeah, Me too. It, there's so much love for them and mm-hmm. I will so buy them alcohol and mm-hmm. I understand, I understand so much. I understand mm-hmm. so well. Um, I, I won't, I won't buy anybody alcohol except for, um, somebody who is on the street. Um, I know. Alcohol. I know. And, um, yeah. And I have such a, I just do, I have such a, I have such a reverence for, for what they've done, where they've been, what they're going through, because it almost happened to me. And I was very clear on that when I was doing that, I was very clear on that. I stepped up for a homeless guy once getting into my, he was asleep, sprawled out across my front stoop. And I, there I was with my bag and there was no difference between he and I, except I still had my apartment. Uh, I know. I know. Right. Right. That's what it is. I, I see, I see very little difference. Like it could have so easily been me uh, for sure. So, okay. So we're going to switch gears and turn towards the, the sober side of things and talk about the three, three of the, you know, shocking and they can be shocking, wonderful, shocking, scary, shocking, whatever things that, um, you've gone through in sobriety. Mine are all positive, really. Um, Mine are all positive too. So my first one is my first surprising thing was that, and I don't have one specific time when I did this, um, but I realized it was happening and it's that I could be genuinely, genuinely happy for others. Um, that's good. I, I, and it's not that I was never happy for people when I was uh, drinking, but I, but I really found it hard to be because I was so miserable. Um, I, and I, I understand. I, I know. you know, I, I can really, I find myself often now rooting for others, truly rooting for them and being genuinely happy for what they're doing in their lives. And uh, it is, it's such a gift. It's so different, uh, such a different orientation. Um, and you realize that, that their goodness only adds to yours in the collective. It doesn't take anything away from you, but you can't really see that when you're suffering. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, it, it's just different and it, and it's, it's great. So that was, that's my one big one. Yeah. Um, for me, um, it was, it's the amount of self-love that I have. Um, and this was, this is shocking because I always rolled my eyes whenever I heard self-love um I really (laughs) thought it was like like something nobody really I thought it just wasn't something that really happened for people um it was a really foreign concept to me that um that people actually loved who they were um and that and I just was like I mean I almost was I was dismissive of it because I felt like it was something that I would not happen in my lifetime. And, uh, and so that for me, the most shocking thing is the amount of, of self-love I have and also just, uh, how much I dig myself. Mm. And, and the funny thing is I, cause before there was always this living from this place and you can kind of match it with the three stories I had. I mean, I lived in fear and shame. I lived in yeah. secret. And yeah. it wasn't just because of the addictions. It was because of the stuff the addictions were covering up, which was that I felt deeply mm-hmm. inadequate. I felt deeply other. I felt like when I walked into a room, everyone was looking at me and saying something like, I, I just thought there was stuff other people saw. I thought I was always faking it. I yeah. did not. I was so disconnected from myself. I thought nothing I was interested in was good enough. I didn't think I was cool. I, 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 I looked towards external things to really prove um, or at least make people think that I was cool and right. that I had it together and that I was worth loving. But I just so deeply, I was so deeply disgusted and disappointed with the person that I was um, that it just didn't feel like it was my thing. And on this side, 
I um, am full of self-love and not in this, like, I think I'm so amazing and I'm the shit, but in this, I think I'm so amazing and I think I'm the shit Mm -hmm. in this way of really, truly not in this like self-boasty way, but in this really true, just like love of the pieces that make me. And there's this really great throw uh, quote that I was actually just reading this morning, which says, know your bone, not at it bury it, unearth it, and not it still. And by mm-hmm. by basically knowing my bone um, and really getting to the root of who I was, I've I've fallen in love with that, with that thing that is just individual and unique uh, and, and nowhere else in the world but right here. And yeah. and I love it. I love like I love it. Yeah. Um so yeah, so that's the, the most shocking thing is that um that I love myself. Um, it doesn't mean that it's like, it doesn't mean that I don't devalue myself or lose myself in men relationships or lose myself when I feel, it doesn't mean I don't feel inferior or lose these things or some, or have self-hate thoughts or hate how my ass looks. And it doesn't mean that that's just a fucking trite concept of it. I feel like loving myself is really loving the thing that I am. Uh, and, and like deep, like the, like, well, your baseline is different. Yeah. Your baseline is shifted you know it's 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 shifted quite a bit yeah yeah that's my number one I love it I love it um so my second one that I think uh is is being able to show up so specifically I one of the best things that's happened to me in my sobriety was being able to go to even though it was massively inconvenient and took a lot of time and um it was it wasn't easy to make this happen but I got to be there for my grandma in her last days when she was um dying and you know she was my definitely my kindred spirit uh since I was very young and I grew up with her uh she was 95 when she passed and I got to sit there and be with her as she was dying in her last few days and to not have it, you know, be, I was sober that whole time and to be with my family and to not have it wear on me or to have it wear on me, but to be able to do it any, anyway, you know, I had such like a, there was a grace about that. That was such, uh, I wouldn't have been, you know, if I had been drinking, that scene would have looked much different. I would have been drunk on the plane. I would have been hung over while I was doing it. I would have been partially present. I would have been drinking while I was sitting there with her because, you know, this, oh, this is so painful. I can't do it. And it wasn't, you know, it was beautiful. So there was that. And then, you know, I was able to also deliver her eulogy, which was, uh, I, I never would have been able to do as, uh, you know, if I was drinking, it just, if I did, it would have been, uh, I would have been anxious about it. It would have been delivered really, you know, not with the grace that I was able to deliver it with. Um, it would have been just a whole different thing. And I, you know, I think that that those two things signify a much bigger theme, which is, you know, which is shocking to me is that I can just show up on a daily basis. I can actually say I'm going to be somewhere and I, and I'm there. You know, this is, that's a big deal to me. It's a huge deal. Cause I didn't, I couldn't do that when I was drinking. I couldn't, nobody trusted me really. I, you know, sometimes I would show up, maybe I wouldn't, you know, I never knew I couldn't count on myself. So, so that's my number two. That was where, those were two big, really big moments. And it's, it continues to be, um, the showing up part continues to be a shocking and beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I feel like mine is almost in the same vein, um, which is the depths of my courage and um, and my ability to really stare fear in its face and, and not be scared, which doesn't mean that I'm fearless, but it just means that I'm brave. Right. And that was something that I really never felt before. And I don't know how to say it other than to say... Um, something has shifted in me and I think part of it is from how close to death I was in mm-hmm. when I was drinking um I think and and not only how close to death I was but how um how risky my behavior was yeah 
Um, and, and there was some sort of like, I, the story I published this past week is a story about how I almost died. And in that moment, there was this feeling of, I'm here to do some bigger stuff and I'm not going to die yet. And it's translated, you know, the courage to kind of do all the things that I've done, right. The take, taking the risk of stepping away from the drinking, of stepping away from the party scene, of stepping away from the friendship circles, of stepping away from, um, well, it's hard. It takes bravery. I mean, it's scary, right? So you do those things and you build up the strength that you never had before. Yeah, no, it's, and, and, and it's just given me the sense of, um, I don't know, it's a sense of courageousness that I feel it's, that's, that's translated far beyond just, um, like, you know, starting a company or, or, or giving up my apartment or wanting to move to Rome or whatever the hell it is, but it's translated into fearlessness or not fearlessness, but courageousness in the world. And, and it translates into what's going on to today. So when I see something like what's going on in Paris, or I watch, um, uh, when I watch a documentary on ISIS or when I, when I really see what's, what's come, I mean, you, you don't have to look very far to see what's happening to our world. And so that courageousness in, in doing these smaller things in my own personal life and, and finding safety in my, finding safety and finding that I'll always be okay, no matter what, in these own personal struggles has allowed me to extend that to the greater world. And so that I'm courageous in that I, I believe that we're going to be okay. I'm courageous in that. I know if that things are, things are going to get bad and things are going to get much worse than they are right now. We're just, I know we're just at the tip of a lot of things and that I know we'll be okay. And, and that I know that when I am met with bigger challenges and, and disaster, um, which I, I do believe I'm going to see in my lifetime, some terrible things, the courageousness that I've gotten from, from, from being sober and from also doing this work that I, that I'm doing and, you know, just like speaking on this podcast and sharing these stories, I know that translates into being, being, being safer in the world. And, and a lot of that comes from faith and a lot of that comes from, from, you you know, a a source, most of it comes from a source outside of me, but it's something that's, it's, it's something that's come through my sobriety that I would not have if I was still drinking. I would not have that courageousness. Oh, absolutely. Totally. I love it. And I, I agree a hundred percent similar experience. So what's your final? So my final one, um, is, is sort of simple and mundane, but it's true. It's, it's shocking. I wrote, you know, I wrote, um, the words I wrote is finishing a tube of chapstick. Um, and I wrote a post about that a while ago about what a shock it was to finally reach the end of a tube of chapstick. But for me, very simple things that I'm able to do now that just escaped me for the entirety of my adulthood, um, I can do. And it's so astonishing. I can pay a bill on time. I can get my oil changed. I can... Um, all this stuff, I lived in such chaos, you know, I lived yeah. in such chaos and, um, yeah, I kept down a job, a re- a, you know, a, good, a great job. I've, I've always done really well. I have a daughter. I had a lot of outside things, but my insides and the real details of my life, if you scratched even a little, little, you know, beyond the surface, they're a fucking disaster. And I can, I can do those things now. And, and it's not perfect. I mean, it is, it is like one little thing at a time, but it's, but I can actually do them. And it never, you know, I, every time I, every time I um, clean my house and fold the laundry and I put my head on the pillow and, you know, I, I think of, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to think ahead to the next day and, and manage a couple of the things that I have to do. I'm astonished. And so it's, it's all the little things it's bringing down the chaos in my life is just shocking. And it, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking. It really is. It's yeah, shocking I know. To, me to finish a tube of chapstick. It is shocking. It's shocking to me to pay my bills on time. Um, it's shocking to me to, Put gas in my car and not you know right not right before I run out you know it's like it's shocking it's great um, I know and I, I know exactly what you mean I, I yeah it's this it's the it seems like the smallest things but it's 
the biggest thing it's 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 actually being able to function in this world and mm-hmm. and move from a place of togetherness and not scrapping it together <laughs> all the time yeah yeah <laughs> so what's your last one um my last shocking thing is that um i was able to become someone else um and that was um that was huge um mm-hmm. and it still is huge and it's still something i don't think has really resonated but i had a story and the story my whole life went i was a fuck up and i was depressive and i was unlovable and and all these things and and not only that um you know as I was going through my life, I had these dreams of running away to the Peace Corps or doing something that was grand or, you know, and then I would constantly come back to, no, I couldn't change. And and there was almost this pact, I think, that we humans have that we're supposed to stay the same and keep everyone comfortable and not... You know, like, it's or that people just don't actually really change. They don't. You know that you that you that we well, don't. No, no, it's not that. It's not that people don't actually change. It's that. It's that whole idea of what I'm. What I'm trying to say is, it's that whole idea of of being, um, of thinking that I could move beyond what I what I had and what I had manifested in my life. It's that yeah. whole idea of like the when the which the crabs you know, when the crab is, is about to leap from the pot, all the crabs coming in and pulling them back down. There was just yeah. this, for me this idea that um, I wasn't, I think what I'm saying is that I was more coming from a place of I wasn't allowed to change and yeah. that I, um, and that I had to keep some sort of pact with everyone um, and that I was limited and, and, and that um, I could dream, but it was going to stay the same. Yeah. And, um, and that one change in my storyline, that one change in, um, I, I've written about this before. I was, I was a bulimic, angry, bitchy, gossipy, pothead, um, drunk bitch. And I just wrote, I changed one line in my story, which was, I was an angry, um, you know, and all those bulimic, whatever, all those things, but um, sober bitch, you know, and I changed yeah. one line of the story <laughs> and so that was a really big line. And that was also a movement towards saying, I didn't have to go along with the social norms and I didn't have to go on with this whole idea that Holly drank. I know. Showed up to places and would buy you, you know, would be at the bar at the last night taking shots. And I, and I moved, I changed that, that piece of the story and I was, Holly that, you know, maybe it was all these other things, but, but it was no longer fitting into this thing that I had this, this, this persona I'd yeah. spent years perfecting. Um, and, and that was crazy, crazy so right. yeah, by changing yeah, yeah. that line, that shocking part. I, I now I don't even rec. I mean, it's moved so fast. There's days where I don't even, it's very hard to see how far I've come and how much has changed. Um, but it's, for me, it's the biggest, the third biggest shocking thing is that, um, I've, I've been able to become someone else and I don't mean my essential self. My essential self is always the same. It's more of like, I uncovered all the shit, all the, I peeled all the layers off that were, that were, um, you know, preventing the real me from coming out. But it's more of that. I've, I, I was, I became someone, I actually changed. I became someone else and the world didn't end. And, it, and I got new friends and, and I changed, you know, like all this stuff changed. Um, and everything changes. I mean, everything, everything. everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And it didn't seem very, that seemed impossible to me. Yeah. I just didn't see how people could do that. I did not see how people could do that. And now I so clearly see how people can do that. They just do. But anyway. Yeah, it's um, I I mean it. That's kind of everything, right? Is I think all these things are that we're saying are adding add up to that. Is that you change you? Everything changes. It's so it's and and it's shocking. I, I you know especially towards the end of my drinking, like last year or two, I really stopped believing in my capacity to heal myself. Um, I stopped believing that I could change. I really did. I. I was very similar, you know, I had that similar, similar line of thinking of just like, this is what it's going to be. I, uh, maybe I can't, maybe it can't get better. Maybe I, maybe I'm, this is the track I'm on, you know? Yeah. Um, fucked for life. Yeah. So that's, that's beautiful. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. 
That was good. That this is a hard one. It is. It was really hard to talk about um, the first side. Even, yeah, it is. This is harder than I thought it was going to be when I. I was. It put me. I literally felt my. um, I mean, my stomach sank as we were doing it. I still feel a little sick to my stomach as um, as we're wrapping it up. That's. Yeah, when you said we're not sensationalizing it, I was looking at my list and I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> not even close yeah I know not I even know close so um, that was awesome all right now we get to go have regular days yeah and our next episode is our second interview with Anne Dowsett Johnston which yes is one of my own personal um role models, heroes, and I am so excited for, for that episode. Yeah, um, me too. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Alright. Well, Alright, love. Have, have a, a wonderful rest of your day. Have a day. Have a day as a different Holly. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Love you. Infinitely so